the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. One thing these fallacious claims have in common, these claims of having seen God, is that they often speak of this experience in a very flippant way, a very lighthearted way, as if it's almost a trivial thing. Oh yeah, God appeared to me last week and we talked and we're good. That type of tone. I know of a man who said that Jesus appeared to him while he was shaving. And the man who he said this to said, what did you do? And he said, well, I kept on shaving. Listen, that's not what happens when God appears to you. You don't keep on shaving. You don't do anything but fall on your face and recognize how sinful you are to be in the presence of God. When God appeared to Moses, this is what Moses did. He trembled in fear because he knew that being a sinful human being, that's how you react when you are in the presence of Almighty Holy God. You don't continue doing anything. just kept on shaving. You know, I had to chuckle to a certain extent when I heard that, yet it is also a sobering statement. God is so completely other than we are, so holy. How would we not just fall on our faces in His presence? Welcome to Verse by Verse, a daily radio program dedicated to the careful study and teaching of God's Word. Our series is titled, Stephen's Defense Before the Sanhedrin. And today we are continuing to look at Acts chapter 7, verses 37 through 53, with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Reverence for God will be front and center as we kick off today's program. So let's go. Now, little did Moses realize that what he was observing was a miracle. It was a supernatural event because as he approached the burning bush to get a better look, He heard God's voice speak to him from out of the bush. And as Stephen continues, he explains what happened and what God said to Moses on that day. We continue verses 31 through 34. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he approached to look more closely, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans, and I have come down to rescue them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. So as Moses drew closer to the bush frankly got the surprise of his life. 
the voice of God spoke to him from out of the bush, telling him that he was the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And in identifying himself this way, God is making a very clear statement to Moses that he is the one who years earlier made a covenant with Abraham and affirmed it with Isaac and affirmed it with Jacob. It was a covenant we usually call it the Abrahamic covenant to care for the descendants of Abraham, to care for the Jewish people. And what he was doing in speaking to Moses is reaffirming that covenant with him. So this is a solemn moment in the life of Moses, not simply because God was speaking to him, but because God was speaking to him about something that involved keeping his word, his covenant, his faithfulness to his people, and Moses knew that it involved him. And so, what was Moses' reaction to all of this? Well, you've read here, he trembled with fear. He looked away from the burning bush. And the reason he did this is because he realized that he was in the presence of holy God. And that's exactly how someone should react when God appears to them. And I point this out to you because in our day, there have been some who have claimed that they have had a vision of God or that God has appeared to them or that they have been to heaven and spoken to the Lord and now they're back on earth. Listen, none of these claims are true, not because I say this, but because Scripture says this. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, makes it very clear that God is not speaking to us in visions and appearances anymore like he did in Old Testament times. Because why? Now we have the completed revelation of God. We have the Word of God, which is referred to in Hebrews chapter 1 as God speaking in his Son. Let me read this to you. Hebrews opens this way. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, meaning Old Testament times, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, in these days, he has spoken to us in his son. He's not speaking to us like he used to. Visions and dreams and appearances. He's speaking to us now in the last days, and the last days started with the coming of Jesus. He's speaking to us now in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. But listen, one thing these fallacious claims have in common, these claims of having seen God, is that they often speak of this experience in a very flippant way, a very lighthearted way, as if it's almost a trivial thing. Oh yeah, God appeared to me last week, and we talked, and we're good. That type of tone. I know of a man who said that Jesus appeared to him while he was shaving, and the man who he said this to said, what did you do? And he said, well, I kept on shaving. Listen, that's not what happens when God appears to you. You don't keep on shaving. You don't do anything but fall on your face and recognize how sinful you are to be in the presence of God. When God appeared to Moses, this is what Moses did. He trembled in fear because he knew that being a sinful human being, that's how you react when you are in the presence of almighty, holy God. You don't continue doing anything. You fall on your face, you tremble, you look away, you recognize your sinful heart, 
This is precisely the reaction of Isaiah in the Old Testament and the Apostle John in the New Testament when they were given a glimpse of God. In Isaiah 6, we read this, verse 1, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. This is what Isaiah said. He was given a vision. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, those are angels, they stood above him, each having six wings with two. He covered his face. Why did he cover his face? Even a holy angel couldn't look upon God's full holiness and glory. He covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I, this is Isaiah, this is Isaiah's response. Then I said, woe is me for I am ruined. I'm undone. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That is how you respond to being in God's presence. The Apostle John had a very similar experience in Revelation 1.17. He was given a glimpse of the glorified Jesus. And John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And folks, that was essentially the reaction of Moses too, because he knew that he was in the presence of pure holiness. And God affirmed that this was the case by telling Moses to remove his sandals from his feet, because the place where he was standing, meaning in his presence, that now was holy ground. Now, apart from the fact that this is what the book of Exodus tells us concerning God appearing to Moses, there's a very specific reason that Stephen mentions that the place where Moses was standing was holy ground. As you'll recall, in addition to being accused of speaking against Moses, Stephen also has been accused of speaking against the temple of God. The temple that in that day stood in the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish people that day thought that in the temple that was the one and only place on earth where God dwells and meets with his people. They were wrong. They were wrong. And Stephen has already defended himself against this charge by stating that God's presence was with Abraham when Abraham was in a foreign land called Mesopotamia. He also said that God was with and present with Joseph when he was in the foreign land of Egypt, proving, and this is his point, proving that God's presence is not limited to the temple at all. And here with Moses, he's making another statement affirming the same exact truth because he's very clearly stating that God's holy presence was in the land of Midian when God appeared to Moses. In other words, He's saying that wherever God is, that's where holiness is. And I want to show you that this thought ties in. If you look back at chapter 6, verse 13, notice the language of Stephen's accusers, and it might be a little bit clearer. In that verse, chapter 6, 13, we read, they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly, meaning Stephen, speaks against, now notice, they call it this holy place, and the law. They didn't call it the temple, this holy place. That's what they mean. And they refer to it as this holy place. And so in answer to this charge, Stephen is now saying that holy ground is not limited to the holy 
temple or even the holy land of Israel. A place becomes holy wherever God is. That's his point. And God was in Midian, appearing to Moses and speaking out of a burning bush. And the reason the Lord did this was because he was concerned, as he tells Moses, he was concerned for his people, the Jewish people, the covenant people. He was concerned because he had promised to protect them, to care for them. And he says that he has seen the oppression of the Egyptians and he's not indifferent to the groans of his people. So now he's going to demonstrate his faithfulness to Israel, his faithfulness to keep his word by sending Moses back to Egypt to deliver them. Now, before proceeding any further, I want to pause here for a moment to point out something that I realize, while it is not the intention of Stephen's message, is nonetheless an important truth that's worth noting. That truth being that for 40 years, for 40 years, God had been preparing Moses for this specific task of leading Israel by training him in the desert. I should say the last 40 years. See, 40 years prior to this, Moses felt like he was ready to lead Israel out of Egypt, but he wasn't ready. He thought they would understand that he was the deliverer, but they didn't understand, and he wasn't ready to lead them out of Egypt. It took another 40 years of behind-the-scenes divine training in the desert to get Moses ready by making him into the kind of man, the kind of man of God that the Lord wanted him to be so that he could serve the Lord effectively. And listen, Moses isn't the only one this has ever happened to. David, we read in Scripture, spent many years being a shepherd to his father's sheep, not even his own sheep, his father's sheep, as God was preparing him to be the shepherd king over Israel. And Paul, shortly after he was converted, spent three years in the Arabian desert until he was ready to carry on an effective ministry. Listen, do not be discouraged, disheartened, if you are not being used by God like you would like him to use you. Learn from Moses, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet to be in an enlarged ministry. You still need more preparation. You still need more training in the desert by the Lord. So be patient concentrate on learning the lessons that God has for you. And those lessons usually concern character development. We're not talking about just learning Greek and Hebrew and going to seminary. We're talking about character development. Let the Lord shape you and mold you into the kind of individual who he has equipped for the task that he has for you. So be patient. Now with Moses, It took 80 years for God to prepare him, 40 in Egypt, 40 in Midian. But now God says that he's ready to be sent back to Egypt to deliver the Jewish people from the oppression of the Egyptians. And the timing of this was absolutely perfect, as it always is with the Lord. Because as you'll recall, God told Abraham that for 400 years, the Jewish people would be foreigners, aliens in a foreign land, just 400 years. That time is coming to a close now. The 400 years are almost up, and that's an approximate. It's actually 430 years. And God, being faithful, is about to keep his word to bring out of bondage the Jewish people, and he would do it by sending them Moses. Now, up to this point, Stephen, 
has just been restating the historical accounts of Moses from the book of Exodus, telling the Sanhedrin things that they were all very familiar with. He didn't tell them anything they didn't know concerning the first 40 years of Moses' life in Egypt, then when he thought that God had called him to deliver Israel, and then the second 40 years of his life in Median when God had called him to deliver Israel. They know this. They've been raised on this. They can read the Old Testament just like he could. But now, watch this, as Stephen proceeds to speak about the third and the final 40-year period of Moses' life, he stops giving the historical account of this man, and he starts speaking, he starts making comments about the significance of God sending Moses back to Egypt to deliver his people. So we move now to the third and final 40 years of the life of Moses while he's in Egypt and also includes the Exodus wanderings. So we read in verses 35 through 36. This Moses, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, notice how Stephen has moved from giving the history of Moses to now he's making comments about Moses. And his comments have to do with the fact that the Jewish people have rejected Moses. He tells the Sanhedrin that in spite of the fact that God sent Moses to deliver the Jewish people, they rejected him. This Moses, whom they disowned, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? He's the one who God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer, to catch up. This Moses, this is the one. They said, no, God said, I'm sending him to you. And in spite of the fact, as the next verse says, that God authenticated Moses as his appointed deliverer by giving him the ability to perform signs and wonders, they still rejected him. This man, he says, led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea, the wilderness for 40 years. This man they rejected. He led them out. Listen, Moses is revered today by the Jewish people, but he was not revered in his day. Although Moses is now looked upon, this is not an exaggeration, Moses is looked upon as the greatest figure in Jewish history. In his day, he was initially rejected by the Jewish people. And even after he led them out of Egypt doing miraculous signs to validate his calling as their deliverer, they still continued to rebel against his leadership. In spite of what some people may think, the history of the Jewish people is a history of rejecting those whom God has sent to her. This isn't only true of Moses. It's also true of the Old Testament prophets. Those men we deeply admire today, but they were not admired in their day. Listen to what Jesus said concerning the pattern of Israel in rejecting God's spokesman. He said this, Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 29, and then we're going to jump to verse 37. I'll let you know when. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. 
Jesus said, so you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. What he's saying is you did murder them. You have the same spirit in your heart that they had. You've admitted they are your fathers. You are their sons. You would have done the same thing. Then jump to verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you'll not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What are you saying? is although the Jewish leaders of his day spoke well of the prophets and they honored them, it was hypocrisy. He called them hypocrites because they had, as I said, the same hostile spirit as their ancestors who murdered the prophets. And Jesus said, as he lamented over the people of Jerusalem, that their history, their history is one of killing the prophets sent to her. And she would soon reject him as the Messiah, the ultimate prophet, king, priest, and they would murder him. And he said, you'll not see me again until the nation's converted and you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's him as he returns. Listen, the long history of Israel reveals a terrible pattern of rejecting God's deliverers and spokesmen. Moses, the prophets, Finally, Jesus, the Messiah. But Jewish people often forget this fact of history because it is not uncommon to hear an unsaved Jewish person say something like this. Listen, if Jesus really was the Messiah, as you say he was, then certainly the rabbis of his day would have recognized him. They would have believed in him, but they didn't. They rejected him. So he must be a fraud. Now, that is a very common argument by Jewish people. But those who say this forget the facts. They forget that the Jewish people initially rejected Moses, and they don't consider him a fraud now. And prior to rejecting Moses, they initially rejected Joseph, but they don't consider him a fraud now. And sadly, their history reveals that they rejected all of the prophets. And they certainly were no frauds. So it shouldn't be shocking that when the Messiah came, they rejected him too. No wonder Stephen will soon tell the Sanhedrin that they always resist the Holy Spirit because that's exactly what they have done and what they have continued to do. And what makes their resistance and their rejection of Jesus so remarkable is that Moses even gave the Jewish people a very specific prophetic promise of the Messiah's coming. So why did he do this? So that they shouldn't have missed him at all. Notice how Stephen puts this in verse 37. He said, this is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brethren. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 in which Moses makes this marvelous prophecy that God will raise up from amongst the Jewish people, the brethren, a prophet who will be like him in terms of his ministry to Israel, be very similar. In other words, this individual would deliver them as Moses did. This individual would do signs and wonders amongst them as Moses did. And this individual would give the people God's revelation, his word, as Moses did. 
And the Jewish people of Christ's day, they knew very well that this statement by Moses was a reference to the coming Messiah. How do we know that they understood it to be that, that they interpreted it that way? Because they said it themselves in the New Testament. Listen to John 6, 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, that's the sign Jesus had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who's to come into the world. They got it. They understood. Again, in John seven forty, some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. These people understood this. They acknowledged that Jesus was that prophet who Moses said would come, meaning the Messiah. They got it. But the majority of the people, including the Sanhedrin, they rejected Jesus when it should have been so very clear to them. Moses said it, but it wasn't clear to them. Not at all, because they constantly resisted the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. Clear things become unclear when you resist the Spirit of God. They resisted the truth about Jesus, and their hearts just grew colder and harder towards Him. Just as he was wrapping up his teaching today, Pastor Steve said, Clear things become unclear when you resist the Spirit of God. The members of the Sanhedrin resisted the Holy Spirit. They could not or refused to see that Jesus was the prophet promised by Moses. It is easy for us today to sit in condemnation of the spiritual blindness displayed by the Sanhedrin. However, I don't think that is the point of today's lesson. Today, we need to take what we heard from God's Word and look at our own lives and ask ourselves this question. Am I resisting the Holy Spirit? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.